curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Small business people are reaching retirement age in record numbers, and perhaps some of you listening are considering what the future might look like for yourself. Others may be interested in learning how to raise money to purchase businesses from retiring founders, but make no mistake about it, a significant transformation will happen in the next five years which means there'll be massive opportunities for those who position themselves appropriately and have the resources and backing necessary to take advantage of those opportunities as they present themselves. To learn some detail around the ways venture capital firms would consider investing in these situations, I invited Drew Leahy from Hawk Ventures, the investment arm of Los Angeles-based Hawk Media, to give some guidance and things to consider when doing research on attracting investment be it as a catalyst for growth or as a means to exit your business. Drew's a four-time startup founder, and in addition to his role as managing partner for Hawk Ventures, he's busy with his give-back vehicles, Hawk Cage, and the Family Business Venture Learning Program. Drew and I spent some time together at Snapsuit, which is one of the four that he had a hand in founding, and in my time, I've watched his career flourish with increasing levels of experience and training in the dynamic field of investment banking and venture capital. This is a little bit of a different topic for us on the So You're In Sales podcast, but I think it's really insightful as those of you might be considering the ways that a boost of capital might either catalyze your business or perhaps allow you to ride off into the sunset. I think you'll really enjoy it. Give it a listen. Talk about how your journey in what you do has moved from being the person needing the funding to becoming the person handing out the funding. I mean, what, what's that, what's, what would have been some of the noteworthy anecdotes you'd share, you know, from a, well, 
I used to think because I was on this side of the transaction that it was one way, but now that I'm on the other, I realize it's this thing instead. I was just talking about this last night. You know, I think when you're a founder and you're raising capital, um, you, you just don't have a concept of like putting yourself in the shoes of the investor and like, why do they care and what are they getting out of it? And like, I think founders just assume that people with money invest and, and their, you know, shit don't stink. Why wouldn't you give me money? And nobody really spends the time to go, okay, who is this person? What are they, what are they invested in? What's their expertise? Why, why are they excited about what I'm doing amongst the hundred of thousand other people coming at them? And it's kind of the same thing I talk about to bands, right? It's like, I used to say like, why would someone listen to you instead of fallout boy? Like, if you're in that position, like you better be able to deliver results that are better than fall boy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why are you different and why do you matter to the person on the other side of the table? And so that's one of the biggest transformations that I've come to understand is, you know, it's just a sales process. It's like, who's on the other side, you know? And Hey, it's not all about you. Literally. It's really about the partnership especially in the early stage when it's not about numbers, it's not about sales. It's really about who you are and how the partnership really is affected. So that, that translates into a bunch of different like key points about the way you structure your sales cycle, the way you structure your investment notes, what's the valuation, like all those things kind of flow into like, well, why does this matter to the person on the other side? Standing out in a crowded and difficult and challenging and noisy marketplace is whether you're selling promotional products or seeking funding for your startup. There's so many similarities in the construction and then the way that you want to be able to articulate what it is that you're in the business of doing. And, you know, I guess the interesting thing that I think is you have a unique viewpoint on is the average promotional products distributor who started their company however many years ago now that they've been able to have some semblance of success that's defensible with, uh, there you go, you're holding your mug. So, um, you know, I've done it for a while. I'm making, there's commas in our sales numbers. We feel like we are a going entity and, um, I've not sought any valuation. So on the flip side, you what you see a lot of is people who are building things specifically seeking valuation in the beginning so as to be funded in a way to grow their business. So ours largely is an often bootstrapped kind of entrepreneurial spirit, which leads itself to this discussion of what you're talking about from a valuation perspective. So what I wanted you to, to offer the listenership a look at is let's get beyond the startup phase because you you've had the good fortune to see some of these things through to when they actually became real companies. When it gets to that phase of now I'm interested in maybe wondering what the end would look like. Yeah. How do you take those same principles that you've learned in valuing startups and apply them in instances where people may be looking to exit? Yeah. So I think when you're exiting um, or getting, you go from this operational phase to this exiting phase you're still doing the same thing, right? It's where's the value here, right? And like, where are the growth points that are going to take you? You're not talking about a 20 X probably or a hundred X when you're getting exited, you're going, I can double 
what we're valued if X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And so again, it's about value. You're positioning value at the end of the day. And so I think that that's where there's a lot of, there's a lot of genius in that stage, which is like, how, how am I putting all these ingredients in this soup and making it taste really good, but they're separate soups. Right. And so you're putting these two pieces together and it has to work. And so I think at the end of the day, there's, there's a class that they teach at Michigan, at University of Michigan called co-creation of value. Co-creation of value. Like, which is really interesting if you just think about what that means, which is like, how do we come together to create something so much larger than whatever we're doing individually? And so as the business is beginning to ex- exit, there's just two things that matter, which is cash flow and EBITDA, profit, right? And then co-creation of value. Like, what does this do that my business cannot do otherwise. And so I think that's, that's kind of once you're getting closer to the exit phase, like those are the things that you have to think about. It's how is it strategic and what it, where's the business headed? So, so we're watching a pretty significant amount of consolidation going on uh, in our marketplace. And unlike early stage consolidation, this is now some of the, 40 million, $50 million businesses are starting to uh, aggregate under uh, a larger umbrella that is uh, VC backed. Yep. So the aggregation is on. And so what that does for the rest of us who are seeking some sort of competitive differentiation in the marketplace, if we know that the consolidation is going on at the top, it's going to be imperative that the rest of us who won't fit into that equation be able to find some value. Right. And so, so I think in the co-collaboration piece, what you're talking about, you know, one thing that I would just, I'll float out here for people to think about is maybe if you're at year 15, it's time to be thinking about who you might merge with now as a means by which to have what you're talking about, you know, from a shared services, which increases your profitability perspective from, uh, you know, does does merging with another business give you the opportunity to increase your geographic reach? Do you have some IP that might play well in another market? If you just had some salespeople who could do that work in that market, yep. you know, instead of waiting until it's at quote actual sale phase, yeah, maybe it would be better suited to take a much sooner look at that and say, would there be benefit in me aligning myself with somebody else within the industry in a way that maybe yeah. one plus one equals three, yeah. which then makes us a more sellable entity in the end, if that's really what the strategy would be. Well, that's right. And, you know, even at Hawk Media, so Hawk Ventures, I run the venture capital arm. Hawk Media is a digital marketing agency with 160 people and somewhere between 400 and 500 clients a month that we're servicing. We just hired a full-time MMA guy to acquire agencies. And why are we doing that? Well, because people who build a two to five million dollar business, doubling or even increasing it is just really, really hard. Yeah. And we're also positioning this acquisition as a lifestyle choice. You don't want to do HR. You don't want to do recruiting. You don't want to do any of that stuff. We have a CFO. We have a recruiting team. We have all this infrastructure here. Why don't you come on board? Be a president. Focus on sales. You know, we'll get some of your clients. We'll get some of your experts. But ultimately, you're getting sucked into something that's like much bigger than yourself. Yeah. And so, what it is is it's actually like a lifestyle acquisition. You're like, look, I've been grinding for at this five million dollar business, and I'm going to get sucked into a fifty million dollar business because 
it makes sense. And I'm going to like my life more. It's going to be a little bit more, you know, you're going to get a salary, maybe some upside, you know, get some incentives to continue to grow myself. But, you know, it, it, you can be absorbed by another entity and add value and, and make it kind of a lifestyle and a work balance or a, a focus play, right? So never underestimate what being absorbed might look like. Yeah. And, you know, it's a pride point for folks in some instances. And, you know, you get that. I mean, it goes back to this valuation discussion, right? And this is kind of where I wanted to bring this back to, which is yeah. when, when you're looking at if you've not done something that I just described and you now are in that phase of like, okay, like what might this be of value if I were to try to bring it to market in a way that it could be bought or sold? Yeah. You know, the challenge for us in, in much of what many of us do is we, we don't have necessarily um, patentable processes or strong IP that somehow gives us a, a real significant competitive advantage. Most of it is just right. our, our ability to be smart marketers and good relationship builders. That's right. So oftentimes the challenge is, you know, what, what value does that ability of mine then translate to in hard dollars if I'm going to not be there doing that work anymore. So that's, that's exactly right. I I'm suspecting only because I've not been in that position, but you know, you, you're the one reviewing the prospectuses often and you know, the value of goodwill, like just talk a little bit about how that gets mis misapplied on both sides of the transaction. Yeah. I mean, from a goodwill perspective, I think, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's super important that you're, kind of building trust and you're going to, you're going to own the growth of, of something in, in, in a way that your investors or your whatever, however you're combining these pieces, you're going to own it and you're going to hit your numbers and you're not going to give a bunch of bullshit. And you're going to, you know, what I call a gun to your head projection. <laughs> I actually got this from my COO. So like about a year ago, I'm raising funds and he's like, Drew, this is so optimistic and lovely, but like, gun to your head <laughs> how much money are you gonna close this month and i was like <laughs> like half a million right and he's like okay i'm comfortable with that yeah i'm comfortable with that but like gun to your head right so i've actually started doing this thing with startups now where i do the same thing i go hey these financials look really good i need you to send me a month over month projections gun to your head this is gonna happen yeah this is like i mean i'm not trying to be like a mobster but like i'll come and like you know throw a brick to your house if it doesn't like you know what i mean it's like what is the what is you what are you really gonna do how do you need, how do i need to make you feel a little like insecure so that number that you're putting on there is real and yeah. not so yeah. I, that's, I mean, goodwill is, is built by just doing what you say you're going to do and hitting it and not being like, well, I didn't get this resource and well, we need, we need to be doing this. It's yeah. like, no, 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 like yeah. do it, do it or not. There is no try. <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's switch gears. I want, there's another, there's another class of, of, of listener that will be in the, let's, we'll call it the, if I could only get an influx of capital, I would be able to do these incredibly impactful things. I am a small business person who maybe this is the first time I've even had a business for myself. Sure. So I'm not a sophisticated operator of an actual business. I'm just a person who has a business that became a business person, but 
I yeah. can see it like it's tomorrow. If only I could get somebody to give me some money. Yeah. What God, sounds like everyone I talk to. What am, what are going to be the elements of the story that I'm going to need to bring to even have a fighting chance for that? Yeah. Well, so the truth is, um, you need some data that is concrete. And I think that, you know, the founder, the operator, owner operator goes, look, I did an experiment. And um, I found out that if I placed this ad and these people clicked on it, that this was my conversion rate. Uh-huh. And, um, and I converted this and it's, it was kind of a new thing for the business, but it worked. I need capital to scale that because my experiment, my hypothesis was proven to be true. And so you have, I mean, that's part of the plan, right? It's not, yeah. this will happen or I'm going to try. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't make me take the risk of trying. Sure. You validate an assumption and then I'll go, I believe you or I don't believe you. And that's probably going to be based on how much experience I have in that particular space. Sure. So what I would say is, you know, you got to do some iterative testing. You got to bang your head against the wall, prove out some results. You know, the internet is wonderful for testing. And, you know, you can place a Google ad and go to a landing page you made on Squarespace to put an email in and you can say, listen, I converted, I converted 30 people with this funnel. And, um, and now I want to, I want to, do it bigger. And so you'll, Oh, okay. Well, there's some data for me to go off of. So I always push back on the entrepreneur and go, what can you do to make me say yes, easier? What have you not tried yet? What, what could you be doing? And so that's kind of where it sits on the entrepreneur to make those decisions and to run those experiments and test the hypotheses so that I'm not taking as big of a risk because you've already proven out that it works. Yeah. So it's, uh, if I were able to, make myself 50% more productive with a million dollar investment in the business. And I already have the track record. That's a much more bankable situation than, Oh, I have an idea. And will you please fund my idea? Right. Yeah, no. And it, it it just doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, maybe in Silicon Valley, if you exited four businesses and you're just a Titan that happens, but you know, if you're a nobody, if you're a small business owner, like, unless you have data, like, it's just, you know, unless mom and pop is going to invest or uncle right. Joe, sure. whatever, like, that's where, that's where friends, family, and fools is, <laughs> you know, that's where people lose a lot of money yeah. in believing in those ideas and calling it, well, college is expensive, but here's 10 grand, you know, yeah. um, say, you're going to get the same kind of output, if you will, or education. So yeah, no, it's, it's really about trying, making sure you come to the table with a good, a real plan with some data behind it. Yeah. Business owners who perhaps have been doing what I described, right? Head down, just, you know, growing their business to the point where they reach a phase where they kind of see what the next phase of growth would be with a little assistance. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes the reluctance there is, well, I've done this by myself and now, you know, I'm introducing someone else's opinion and money into what we've done. But, you know, on the flip of that, what I would say is people have to consider is, you know, if you can turn it into enough of an equation that you can present it as, you know, with this amount, I believe this additional larger amount will occur. Yeah. It really is just a financial 
transaction to the person who would make the investment, no different really than if you went to bank to get a line of credit. Yeah, so, no, that's so right. A function of being able to build a level of trust with people to say like, I confidently can say to you that I believe that if the investment is made, the outcome will occur. And that takes a fair amount of balls. <laughs> we'll, right. just call it, we'll just call it that. And so, yeah. you know, to go out there and to really put yourself out there in that way. But I think there's faster scale to be had when people are willing to make those kind of leverage bets where they can get the money in a hurry if they know that that money is going to get them something really quickly in return. That's right. Yeah. And that's just business. I mean, whether you're going to your CFO and asking for $20,000 for a new program or you're going to friends and family or you're going to a banker, it's, it's just, you know, what is the dollars in and what is the output and like got into your head? Like, is that going to work? Um, a fair amount of things in place to have the confidence to, to go do something that bold, but the opportunity really is there should you be willing to do what's necessary to, to, to ask. We see a lot of small businesses at Hawk Media and, um, you know, we, you get a lot of customer service stuff and you get a lot of strategy stuff and people don't listen or whatever. And it's like, you know, small businesses are a lot of times small businesses for a reason because that like risk and reward cycle needs to be you know, dialed in. And so pushing your chips in and knowing where you can bet on things is how you're going to get ahead. Yeah. And that's difficult for people. I think yeah. that's what separates the wheat from the chaff. And so, you know, but it's, it's not so scary if you go out and get validation and to ask your friends and go to people you trust, Hey, does this make sense? Um, what would you think about this? You know, just validate your assumptions and you can get pretty far. Um, and then it's not as scary when you're like, well, five people that I trust think it's a good idea. I mean, it's, that's sometimes that doesn't work too, but (laughs) you can sleep better at night. So you can go, okay, I'm going to do this. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm comfortable. So it doesn't have to be so scary. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But in much the same way as many of the other discussions, what we ultimately always boil it down to is if you don't try, it'll never happen. So it really comes down to, you know, and, that will just very basically, and we won't spend a bunch of time because it makes perfect sense to any goal. It's being willing to say it and talking to people about it and asking their opinion is usually where the idea really comes to life because you're letting it out there. And that's yeah. what it goes from being just something you're thinking about to something that actually happens. And that's right. If you don't do that part of it, then none of the rest of what we're talking about matters. So yeah. see the things people so that they can be a thing. All right. So speaking of which you, we, this is a community within my listenership of a very give first kind of community. And I know you two are very much that kind of guy when it comes to wanting to inform and educate and entertain folks while you're also um, out doing what it is that makes you successful for a living. So Talk a little bit about this whole Hawk Circle thing that you, or Hawk Cage you've been doing and the project and kind of what it's meant to be and what that's all about. Yeah, sure. So um, with the Hawk Cage, I had this idea um, before I had the Hawk Cage, I had this idea to create a club inside of the media company. Again, 160 people work here. Um, I'm like a separate entity that lives inside and outside of Hawk Media. I had this idea to create a venture club. So I created this thing inside called the Hawk Adventure Club. 
where people can join the club, learn about venture capital, and then I'll take them on a quarterly outing, which is sort of paid for by Hawk Media because we it's an employee development, community, culture kind of thing. So went to mom and dad and said, give me a little money for this and I'm going to do this. And they're like, okay, fine. So I can't take credit for the name Hawk Cage because one of my captains in the Hawk Adventure Club came up with the name and I was like, yes, the Hawk Cage. I love it. Like, this is perfect. So the Hawk Cage started and, uh, you know, we were basically iterating on it, had a couple cameras from internal people in the, in the company, filmed it. Um, and I saw the vision for this being much bigger than just a couple startups coming in to pitch the Hawk Adventure Club and filming it and putting it out there. I was like, you know, this could be a really big thing. So we started getting guest investors because people were like, hey, can I come in and and, and judge the hawk cage with you. Um, you know, we started getting sponsors. Um, we've got a wine company that, that sponsors the wine for the live taping. Um, and so we started building it into a much bigger entity. So for the last eight months, we said, hey, how do we make this 15% better every single time? That's just, it's an iterative process. New companies, here are the tweaks we can make. And so now it's a full-blown reality show. Um, we have an interview. We have an interview before the show, and we have an intro, and we have a welcome introduction, and we have a taping. And you know, I have a, a director that's coming in and does the does the call, the production call, and it's just it's real. And so, and it just kind of born out of this vision of like, how do I give back? to the people who are working on marketing, want to learn venture capital, want to learn if I'm starting a business, what are some of the things that I want to look out for, be pushed back on? True. Can you imagine if they would have, this would have been around when you started? Yeah. Oh my God, dude, seriously, right? Like how, what a fast forward this is for people who get a chance to get in there and like, look, nothing for nothing. You and I both know when the chips are down and the people who gave you the money are looking you in the eye, you have to be able to deliver you. And, and it doesn't always mean that like, Hey, we hit the number. It's sometimes the board just wants to know, are we on track for what we said you said you're going to do? And if you can't convince them that you are, you are in trouble. And if you can't start by getting somewhere and like making a presentation that would feel like that kind of pressure in a situation, that's not really, it's just practice. Yeah. It's perfect. It's exactly what it's everyone it's what everyone needs. So yeah. so now you even you starting to go out on the road now. Yeah. When I go out on the road, um, I have another sort of give back program that I've worked on on the capital raising side. So um, I created something called the Family Business Venture Learning Program, which is a program for sons and daughters of family offices to learn about venture capital and essentially learn about making money with money, which for most people is like a super boring concept. I don't care about real estate or ETFs or public stock markets. Like none of that's interesting, but giving money to entrepreneurs and being a venture capitalist is kind of cool. And um, so what I do is give all these sons and daughters of family businesses, the tools to create a venture capital innovation arm of the family business. And so how do I, how do you reach these 
people that are under a rock that nobody wants, you know, everybody's like, Ooh, like we don't want to meet anybody that we don't know all this stuff. So I said, well, why don't I do a presentation called venture One Hundred and One? And it's sort of just like a introduction to venture capital. What is the history of it? What are the returns look like? Um, how does a venture capitalist make money, right? All these things that like are kind of an enigma to people. So I do about a 45 minute presentation on what is venture capital. And then I go and I, I do a fireside chat. So I bring someone from a family office um, and we talk about, hey, like how does a family office work? How do you evaluate deals? How do you plan succession for your uh, sons and daughters? Like how do you figure out what that wealth planning looks like and how does venture capital fit into that? And how does that innovation fit into the family business? You know, there's family businesses doing... 500 million a year making furniture and you're like well you could be investing in innovation and investing in startups that you could help grow i mean there's if you go look at furniture companies online there's like 50 of them you know i was just gonna say this is one of the other so as as we sort of get to our our wrap up here um i want to give you one last a thing I want to throw at you, but before to me, so taking it back into the promotional marketing industry or really like sales businesses as a whole, if you've gotten to that stage of what we described earlier, where you don't really know what your succession plan is and you don't really think there's anybody in your family that really wants to continue what you're doing as a family business, but you have enough money that maybe you might be able to take the money you've made and go somewhere with it. Yeah. That could be of interest to another member of your family. This sounds very much like a place where someone who's done relatively well for themselves at the late stage of their career, if they were considering what would be next for the family business, this would be a great opportunity. So the Venture 101 events I do are open to anyone, really. Um, It's not a pitch environment. So don't come and try to pitch your startup to me. That's definitely not what I'm trying to create. (laughs) You know, outside of that, you know, it's it's really a, it's really just an information session on venture capital, if you will. All right. So if someone wanted to track you down, how how would you best want someone to try to reach out to you? What's the best way to get to you? Um, the best way to get to me is LinkedIn. Um, just, you know, add me on LinkedIn and tell me why we're connecting and like, don't make it generic. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm happy to connect and, and give feedback and talk and whatever it is. So there you have it. I hope that you got as much out of that as I did. I found it really to be a fascinating discussion because there's so many considerations to factor in when knowing whether or not it's a wise investment of your time to pursue additional funding to grow your business, to exit your business, to use it for your succession plan. There's so many things I think that we could pick up on in there that really are helpful. You know, the idea of co-creation of value is really important when you're not a manufacturer, you need to figure out what it is that you're doing that's creating value. And then you add that to your EBITDA to really give you a good understanding of what your potential valuation might be. And having a, a real strong understanding of what makes you strategic and what makes what we do important in comparison to perhaps some of our competitors in the marketplace, or also the notion of having done research and testing hypotheses using your own resources in order to be able to share the results of those tests with the potential investors so as to give them a proof of concept that they might be able to then 
decide to invest in. So, you know, in addition to that, if you're at all interested in the Hawk Cage series, I'm going to include some links to that so that you'll be able to follow along there. And then I think it's really interesting for those of you who perhaps have done well for yourselves and don't have family that would be interested in continuing on in your family business, what you might do with the money that you've created as a result of your success that would be interesting to future members of your family that don't necessarily have to do with the sale of the items that you are currently selling. Really great episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you did, please share it with people who would be interested in the topic. We're always looking for more subscribers so that we can continue to pursue guests like Drew to bring you the high quality content that you've come accustomed to. Congratulations again to my 200 listeners of the very first episode, and we look forward to episode 71 in two weeks.